Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Matt Deegan. On the show today, a new BBC Studios boss is finally chosen. Spoiler, it's the same as the old one, but now it's official. Our panel look at why it's taken the BBC so long to sort. Over in Europe, the radio industry has been getting together to look at the fortunes of broadcasters during the pandemic. Is confidence returning to the audio sector? All that, plus the rise and rise of Substack, has Channel 4 neglected its hard-of-hearing audiences? And in the media quiz, we see who's dropped onto the casting couch. That's all coming up in this edition of the Media Podcast. And joining me today, it's an all-star lineup. We welcome back the editor of Newsweek International, Alex Hudson. Uh, Alex, since last year on the show, um, you've had something of an anniversary to commemorate. Uh, ten years since the Hackney riots? <laughs> yeah, ten years since I didn't die. Um, yeah, so I was out reporting. Uh, I'm not allowed to say for the BBC because it wasn't for the BBC. It was just on my own back. Very clear legal definition <laughs> there. Uh, I was I was out reporting and I got het up in a bit of a confrontation and my life ended up being saved by the Hackney heroine who shot to viral fame for a video recorded 20 minutes before she saved me but I ended up being pushed into a burning car and having to flee uh, through a block of flats. It was fun in retrospect you know interesting journalism but terrifying at the time is that your most dramatic media story <laughs> in in a sort of life and death way yes good uh, also back on the show is karen robinson planning director at communications firm uh, edelman um in case I, I don't expect that you've been um near any burning buildings recently Fortunately not, although I am uh, quarantined in my home because my daughter has COVID, so that's our personal drama at the moment. Uh, it's one of those things, it's the curse of all parents, isn't it? In and out of uh, school school issues. Somebody else who's having issues this week is WPP. Um, what's been going on in their accounts department? So they've just been levied a, a gigantic whopping fine by the SEC in the US, um, I believe, for um, failing to prevent uh, bribery um, happening across their global business. Um, and I... I'm happy to say I do not work for WPP anymore. Um, And from my experience, when I did work at WPP, I can only say that I find this news disappointing, but not shocking. So WPP are a kind of conglomerate of lots and lots of operations, aren't they? Um, And they're all all across the world. So some of 
uh, their subsidiaries um, have been greasing the wheels to get some deals done. Yeah, fundamentally. I mean, WPP is is basically a holding company that consolidates together um, a huge number of agencies, um, advertising, creative, PR agencies around the world. And so there's obviously brilliant and amazing people who work across the business and businesses doing fantastic creative and strategic work across the business. But there's a real commercial drive that happens um, that gets pushed down from a parent level at WPP, which, you know, I personally have always felt undermines a lot of the good work that is happening. And then, um, you know, obviously that leads to results which are less than ideal um, creatively and strategically, but also ethically some of the time, unfortunately. And alongside them both, we have the doyen of all things Channel 4, the media matriarch, its media writer, Maggie Brown. Um, when uh, I sort of take over from Ollie in the in the interim here uh and he said that you know since your books come out that's it we've run out of things to talk to you uh about um is is what else is going on in your life where, where have you been what have you been doing post release well actually one of the good things is that it's it's very timely i was very upset because because of covid the book was delayed virtually for a year and so i was getting very sort of upset about that but in fact fortuitously for me um, the whole Channel 4 privatisation debate started up all over again. So it's a, obviously a specialist book, but it's been in demand. And I've been doing quite a few of these, uh, you know, discussions uh, via Zoom or, or whatever. Um, the Oxford Media Convention, uh, a university that trains a lot of people for uh, jobs in TV production, and another conference uh, about, you know, public service broadcasting. So it, I've actually found myself quite in demand in these kind of specialist circles. <laughs> and I'm afraid trying not to be too much of a, you know, I know and uh, flinching when people get quite a bit wrong about Channel 4 when I think they probably ought to know a bit more than they do, but trying to be polite people and understanding that I'm, I am a bit of a sort of, you know, didactic on, on this subject. But no, it's been it's been a good experience and it's now just about to be published in America. So the news volume is uh, Channel 4, A History from Big Brother to the Great British Bake Off, which I've read and is great. And I guess like all big media companies, uh, lots of chopping and changing at, at Channel 4 over people, uh, which brings us on to our first story. So after months, of rumour and off-the-record briefings. Uh, we have a new head of BBC Studios, that's the BBC's production arm. Uh, and Alex, uh, this has taken, what, 13 months to sort out? Who's got it and what's been the hold-up? So the man who's got it is called Tom Fussell. He's been there since, well, he's been in charge since September 2020, so it's been over a year. And the hold-up has been that who would want that job? <laughs> who would want lower paid than you are elsewhere? Who would want more scrutiny than you get elsewhere who would want lower budgets than you get elsewhere and how do you deal with the fact that license fee is coming under increasing scrutiny so you have to find a very particularly motivated candidate to be the sort of commercially minded person within the BBC so from what I've seen he's done good work so he's already above targets of revenue and he's set to hit 1.2 billion revenues by next year so in in terms of what he's looking at financially, that that's what he's looking at. But still, he's he's not being paid as much as a Netflix executive of someone of his level. So that's why it's taken so long. I mean, Karen, do you think they just kind of ran out of other people or other options and he seemed a, a good chap? So they just went, oh, actually, you can have it after all. 
Well, I mean, it feels that way, doesn't it? It's not ideal. Anytime you've been in an interim position for upwards of a year, um, you have to get the suspicion that your bosses are looking for someone other than you. So, um, you know, hopefully (laughs) that isn't going to taint his tenure in the post. But I think Alex has a really good point about it's a very challenging position. I think the BBC is in a very challenging position right now, as I think we might come on to talk about a little bit later with the political environment being really challenging for for the business. Um, So it may be that they were hoping for someone with a little bit more almost like political savvy to be able to help them navigate um, and add value into the into BBC studios that would help them navigate in that climate. Um, But, you know, I wish him all the best. (laughs) Good luck. He's got quite a job on his hands. Uh, Maggie, does this come down to kind of CEO ego? Uh, Because obviously, if you if you end up running BBC studios, which is a, a, a plum job, big international uh, operator now doing more things in more countries but you've got kind of tim davy above you you never really get to own that space is that right well i mean tim davy is stretched uh greatly stretched at the moment so i would have thought that you would have a, a, a lot of um responsibility on your shoulders um tim is is has spoken quite eloquently actually about the, the the fact that he sometimes has to just go off and be quiet and have time to think and he's got huge responsibilities. It's a very delicate um, uh, time for the BBC. I personally am not actually too... I, I, the BBC is challenged, but remember, we've, we're coming into the centenary celebrations next year, 2022, and I, I'm sure that they will come out with some fireworks. And uh, I'm, 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 I'm fundamentally against trend uh, thinking that the BBC is going to be diminished in importance but still a very important institution for this country and Tim is 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 one of the good things about Tim is that he has actually been at the BBC a very long time and he has as we've we've been talking about you know has had a lot to do with the commercial side but he's also um, an extremely clever person who understands almost every corner, I would say, of the BBC, from radio to, to international issues. So but if they can get the politics right... I mean, he's made a lot of quite sensible things. You know, he's, he's um, prevented the row over Jess Bromer, the, the um, uh, person who was coming in to head up uh, news. He's managed to sort of sidestep quite a bit of the uh, issues, or current affairs, rather, that, 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 that have been sort of potential... Um, you know, elephant traps. I, I, I think he's, I think he's managing pretty well, actually. But I, I would have thought studios is, is, is since the person has been running it for a year, and nothing terrible seems to have happened. Um, then uh, that's the marketplace. If, if, if the job isn't paying as much as you would be getting in the commercial center, center that uh, uh, area, that that's also the marketplace. And he's obviously decided to stay with a public, the great public service broadcaster. And in that way, I suppose, he does have a bit of an open goal, right? Because Britishness is one of the most marketable things at the minute. So, you know, between Brid- Bridgerton and Sherlock and Downton Abbey and, you know, even Idris Elba, right? <laughs> That's one of the most sellable things in the world at the moment. And so if you think, you know, BBC, just make more Doctor Who, make more stri- strictly come sellable formats, make more Top Gear, and, you know, they'll be fine. 
you know, Emma Raducanu winning US Open. It's it's a it's a, you know it's a perfect example of just how sellable British content is at the moment. Well, in fact, you know, at the, at the Royal Television Society's um, biennial conference in September, uh, which was sponsored actually by Facebook, uh, one of the most key themes that I was watching all of it came out of it was, in fact, why are all these studios opening up in in the UK? It's because there's huge respect for our centuries-old tradition of storytelling, uh, for the kind of uh, people that we have in Britain who are writing stories and fiction that can be turned into scripts, and to the general level of expertise that we have in depth, which has been built up for an awfully long time. And it was most heartening. I don't think that they were... They were all almost singing from the same script. I'm, I'm, I'm simplifying it, but that is basically the theme that emerged from the top dogs of the, of, of, of the streamers. So I think that you're absolutely right. The problem is, really, with things like Bridgerton, is that they have could have almost dynamited the old uh, tradition of costume drama, which we've come to love, the British version, uh, and it's become obviously something else with with Bridgerton, and and so although it's it's very fashionable and it's saleable, the question for the BBC will be how does it continue to do, if you like, traditional um, costume drama or, or or literary based dramas, which still remain British, uh, and. Uh, is in a marketplace where millions of young... I mean, I think 84 million people have watched Bridgerton. Millions of, of younger people are expecting something different from... Uh, it won't be just, you know, a prim Jane Austen kind of um, adaptation. That's the challenge for the BBC. And, of course, they've got to do it probably on a, a much slimmer budget than Netflix can afford as well. Public service broadcasters were in lots of discussion at Radio Days Europe uh, this weekend just gone. Uh, so I was in Lisbon for that. Uh, it's the first time the conference has been back after two years of coronavirus-related pausings. I think this was their, their third rescheduled date. Um, about half the number of people there normally, which I thought was a, a pretty good turnout, about 800 people. And obviously coronavirus came up as a topic a lot. Uh, and I think for radio, radio had a pretty good coronavirus. Uh, and listening to both public broadcasters and commercial broadcasters speak, I think there was a real desire or a real understanding that they had sort of reconnected with their purpose uh, and the fact that a lot of listeners use it as a, a trusted news source and radio scores very well as a trusted news source um, that they altered their programming they changed how things were broadcast a, a lot from people's homes and kind of post-coronavirus it almost sounded like they that it's some special source which when competing against new entrants be they the, the Spotify's of this world or, or podcasters or, or, or different people or Facebook with you know a lot of fake news trouble at the moment um, that that actually maybe it was one of radio's core brand values that they need to rediscover. Um, Alex, I think you you had a look at some of the, the videos that they, they were streaming from their website. I think Adam Bowie popped up from the BBC uh, talking about some research that they'd done. So their research was all about just how much you know, radio and audio in general re relies so much on the commute. Like you go to work, you have it in your car, you have it on the tube or on the train or wherever. So they were interested in the in just what happened 
during the pandemic, expecting the commute, of course, to just vanish. And I think the first tricky thing was to say just how they couldn't do the Rajar figures. So they rely on going around to people's homes, which feels very old fashioned to me. But, you know, they go around and they get people to take notes and they, they chat to people in person. So those figures haven't been around for the last 18 months. They're just starting to come back now. But but what research they've done showed that the morning spike was significantly less sharp. So there's fewer people going to work. But what the exciting thing was for, for him, at least, was that during the day, more and more people were listening to audio. So in pre-COVID, there were sort of spikes at lunchtime and spikes when people weren't meant to be working. But now with more people working from home, you're going to get people are sort of listening to music on their headphones or listening to radio on their headphones or podcasts or whatever. So they're, they're actually quite excited about the fact that listening throughout the day has significantly increased. Karen, has your audio consumption changed over coronavirus? And has it, and has it changed back as we kind of get towards getting a get out of it yeah i mean i i found the research also really really interesting my personal audio habits have have changed in very much along the lines of of what alex was describing and what their research bears out which is that instead of the two hours of kind of head to you know door-to-door commuting as a really concentrated set of activity i'm finding opportunities to listen in across the piece and i should say that this research actually bears out kind of edelman's own you know we've been looking at changing behaviors and so forth um and it, it all makes sense along with what we're seeing but we've also been looking and thinking about it's not just when people interact with content that when they consume a content different parts of the day, they're looking for different things out of that content. So I think we should be thinking about what types of content better suit this new way of consuming audio. Um, you know, our, our kind of data seems to suggest that when people listen in the morning, that morning commute is much more of a lean in type of thing. It's a daily catch up. It's what's happening. Whereas as they listen at other times of the day, it can be more subject matter focused. People are a little more interested in possibly having a deep dive. It's a little bit less of a news and catch up. And I think it'll be interesting to see if content producers, whether it be podcast or radio, start shifting to content that that feels a little bit more spread across the day. I think the data is fascinating. So we'll, we'll get first sight of uh, Rajar's return on the 28th of October um, and I was having a, a bit of a chat with some people and there's been a little bit of a tweak to, to methodology which I think they're going to be talking about quite soon I'm sure we'll pick up on, on the podcast which I'm sure everybody will find fascinating as much as I do uh, Okay, uh, <laughs> newsletters now and founder of Black Ballad uh, Toby Oradin has raised over £300,000 from a mixture of equity, crowdfunding and private investment. Um, Karen, she spoke to Press Gazette this week. What was she saying? So she was saying that um, that they were very excited um, to allow, the way she kind of put it was like almost allowing the community to support and back the business. Um, you know, the, it's, a, it's an organisation which is designed to, its aim is to tell the stories of black British women, which I think is an underserved demographic. Um, in the media landscape. And I kind of got the impression that she was almost saying, okay, here's our chance for this community to put its money where its mouth is, really stand up and be counted. I do think that, you know, black women you know, in terms of the kind of overall minority ethnic demographic, black women are not only underserved in the media environment, but also the pay gap for black women is smaller than the pay gap for black men. So there is money out there and there is a consumer audience that's worth reaching out to, even if you leave aside kind of diversity and inclusion, which I think should be considered. This is an audience that's that's hungry for the type of content that she's able to provide. And I would hope to see more of this kind of thing. 
I mean, Alex, uh, what she's doing is, isn't something massively different than we, we've seen kind of happening over the last 12 months where people are really doubling down on communities of interest, uh, particularly around newsletters, uh, subscription media. Um, what's your take on, on this? Are we going to reach a limit to the amount of substacks you can subscribe to? Uh, no, <laughs> there's, there's, there are infinite demand, but it's, you know, it, the Substack stuff and the newsletter stuff is the latest pivot. So first we pivoted to social, then it was to video, then it was to search, then it was we pivoted to podcast. And now all of the media is publishing to newsletters. And it's not a get rich scheme. It's not this magical silver bullet that's going to solve media's problems. You know, I have my own newsletter, everything popular is wrong, subscribe now. And Ollie, when I set this up, you know, knowing what a full new media hipster I was, said it was a little bit retro and old fashioned. It's not. It was ahead of the game. <laughs> um, and you know, take take Newsweek too. Like we now have half a million readers. It's it's and it's we don't do that by. It's not this sort of thing that is going to be this magical thing. It it requires a lot of work. So all of these Substack things about people setting them up and thinking they're going to make thousands of dollars very very quickly. It's not the way it works. If you get a thousand people willing to pay for your content, then great, wonderful. You have a really sustainable business model. If you're a, if you're a if you're one person doing this thing but it, it, those those models are rare and it takes a very special talent to be able to convince a thousand people to, to hand over their cash to you and so there, there is an there are so many infinite demands like so there is either way of doing it mainstream as, as i'm doing at newsweek or you know pick your niche i don't think black women's a niche it's more a sector that's underrepresented but what what there what there is there is i can think of five things that if someone offered me a really particular expertise on it i would happily pay five pounds a month for and if everybody has five different things there is there is so many different things that could be done but most of those Substacks or newsletters will be set up and they either won't be kept weekly or they won't be very interesting or they just won't be very good. I mean, reading Toby's story, I mean, she sort of felt there wasn't room for the journalism that, that she wanted to make. And so she set up Black Ballad to do that. Is this a, a also a mainstream media problem in that we're likely to lose specialists or, or, or people who uh, can bring in new audiences to, to mass media if we don't look after them? Uh, that's a data problem. So the analytics to show what is and what isn't popular. Mm. If you still go on page views, which is not the answer, nor should nor ever was it, but it it's still often taken as the answer. Um, then you lose a lot of niche audiences because you don't. You know, if ten thousand people read it, read but stayed there for two minutes, is that worth more or is that worth less than a hundred thousand people being there for thirty seconds? Eventually, analytics will show that the ten thousand people were more valuable, both in lifetime value and audience memory and all of that sort of nerdy data stuff that I would could talk forever about do not let me if mainstream media doesn't understand that if we don't get it if we don't keep employing people who can find really engaged if small loyal audiences then we're missing a trick and then everyone will go to Substack and find the 5 10 15 things they want to read about rather than just going to a news site and it's how you know the the, the buzzword we'll, we will be talking about instead of newsletters in a year will be appointments and habits, and all of that data will start coming in then. Uh, Maggie, you're a specialist journalist, you're a media journalist, and obviously we talked about you know, your special interest in Channel 4. Um, any plans to start a Substack, a newsletter? Do you think you could get a, a very high-paying premium audience to, to hear your thoughts? Well, it would be so flattering, wouldn't it? <laughs> Nobody's come to me to do one, so I suspect really I'm probably old news now. I'm obviously more bookish than uh, new media. But I actually agree with Alex that uh, the, the analytics are really interesting, as are the finances or, or the, the um, monetization of these 
um, quite specialist areas. It is the case, and he is right, that I can think of many areas in the media where the in-depth coverage is not what you would wish. And it's, it's all about really... Um, recognising the fact that diversity is, is just expanding, whether it's the kind of music you like or even kind of the cosmetics you like. You can, you, let alone foreign policy and all of the heavy subjects as well. So that this is the world we're in now. And um, actually, I, I'm quite in favour of it, to be honest. But I do think what you do need in the mainstream media is you do need um, very good specialists to be able to explain important stories in a way which the majority of the population, if they choose to, can understand, which is the other end of the splintering of, of, of interests. Otherwise, you don't really have a fully functioning society, so we have to have the in-depth stuff. We also have the broad stuff too. And we'll be back with more media news, no login required, after this. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome back. Maggie, Alex and Karen are still with me. Uh, let's cover some more media news in brief. Uh, let's start with the Conservative Party conference where there was much tub thumping about the role of the BBC and, of course, that Channel 4 consultation. Um, Nadine Doris, she's she's got straight into her uh, culture, media, sport and digital job and has maybe surprised some of uh, the TV sector with her views on, on Channel 4. Maggie, did they think they'd got away with it? Well, I think that this actually plays totally into my book because what actually happens is that you have a a huge turnover of culture secretaries and they don't last very long and they they propose things but they're not there, say, long enough to make sure that something happens. Uh, I didn't ever think that um, because John Whittingdale and um, his uh, Oliver Dowden had been removed from their posts that it would be plain sailing for Channel 4. I mean, why would it be? They held a consultation. They got the results on the 12th of September. It was a very um, unsatisfactory kind of three-month process over a summer holiday uh, with a desired outcome. 
and involved in that was Andrew Griffiths, the uh, Conservative MP who had, of course, been the Chief Executive Officer of uh, Sky. So they were all poised to go down this line of not um, allowing the status quo to continue. So I didn't expect her to back down, but I do think that this is, she's the fifth uh, Culture Secretary since 2015. So I kind of think... He was bound to say that. Whether it will result in a big change, I don't know. But what I do think is happening is that Channel 4 is, is, is rolling out its regional and, and nation's policy really fast, and that is making it very difficult for any party that is trying to woo uh, out-of-London audiences, not just the Red Wall. And, and it's also um, quite clear, too, that Channel 4 will still have an important role to play, it seems to me, in our creative economy, whatever happens. So, no, I'm not surprised. She was bound to say that because she wants a result of sorts. She's not there for the status quo. None of them are. It doesn't mean they're going to dismantle. And I I would have thought now, you talked about Facebook, but will it really play well if, you know, I don't like the fact particularly that Channel 4 keeps buying popular um, programming like the Great British Bake Off, but God, the audience loves it. it put in very crude uh, public interest terms. Why are you going to annoy millions of people by messing up their, some of their favourite programmes, whether you um, whether you love them yourself? For, for example, too, the Paralympics came out just at the point when they were changing over culture secretaries. Channel 4 had a rather magnificent Paralympics this year. Well, let's just pick up on that. So they'd played a bit of a blinder leading up to uh, the consultation. Uh, Emma Raducanu coverage on Paralympics, on, on all those sorts of things, uh, nations and regions. Uh, but Karen, the, she, they've had a bit of trouble recently. Uh, all their, their suppliers, Red Bee, have, which, which had a massive fire, which has basically knocked out all the subtitles on Channel 4 uh, for over three weeks now people aren't happy are they no they are not and um so they're still not getting subtitling and full accessibility um across a number of very popular channel four shows and what we saw coming out this week was the um host of the last leg adam hills um he was calling them out on that specifically on his on his program um which i thought was a a very good intervention on his part because he knows his audience um and what he's trying to reach but also um was pretty extraordinary to have him on a live show effectively openly critiquing his employer it was um it was a pretty bold move um which i expect will have gone down very well with his audience um and uh and and uh probably not so much with the channel four execs themselves so really uh interesting stroppy presentation from him well you know when you get to google box they do allow um, criticism of channel four programs on it so i mean the, the 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 real problem is actually the the, the fact that so much of the uh, broadcast um, uh, contracts have all been concentrated with Red B. Um, Channel used to actually broadcast itself from its own headquarters, and I, I do think that this is, is exposing one of the vulnerabilities, if you like, of outsourcing, as we've seen in other industries. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think it does expose the the vulnerability of outsourcing, but also it shows where your priorities are, because if accessibility were considered to be genuinely business critical, they would have solved it long before this, I suspect. Sorry, go ahead, Alex. No, I was just going to say, Alex, 
the, the Channel 4 press on this, normally they, they seem pretty good at responding to these issues. They've been a bit trapped, I guess, because they, they, they can't control getting, getting it fixed and getting subs back on the air. Yeah, what do you say? Uh, sorry, we messed up, but it's kind of out of our control. It, there, there is no way of PRing this well at all. So, you know, quite, the more they talk about it, the more they realise that there, there is no way to apologise effectively for it. And that they they could be not saying they are they could be hedging the fact that it's still a, a small percentage of their audience that are directly affected by this and that's not a good thing is it but like by keeping quiet about it it's still that small minority of audiences who are going to be directly affected by it uh, there's a tweet from Ofcom today so they say we've received around 500 complaints about Channel 4's ongoing outage uh, C4 has assured us it will shortly communicate to its audiences the clear measures it's taking to restore these services they also to say that Channel 5 has now restored these services to its forward schedule and is adding them back to recent on-demand programmes where they are lacking. We work on this progress and we'll continue to engage with broadcasters to make sure these services are restored as a priority. It's about 3 million people that use subtitles, you know, varying levels of, um, of hearing loss. Uh, it, it is a big issue, but I think also what's interesting, um, BBC basically had their own backups Channel 4, not so much. Uh, Channel 5, less channels. But even like, I think one of the four music channels has only basically just gone back on air properly. So there's clearly a list of things they're trying to get through uh, to get this stuff uh, back on air. Um, podcast company Audio Boom is getting into the originals business with the launch of Audio Boom Studios. Um, Karen, they've most been known for sales. They look after hits like No Such Thing as a Fish. Why do you think they're getting more into content, particularly in the UK and Europe? I think to some extent, it's just a natural expansion strategy. As you say, they have a, a good roster of content they've got from others. But as any business, as it grows, I think wants to be more in control of its own fate. Also gives them a, a greater profitability, ultimately, because they, they can share where they go with it next. Um, so I think from that point of view, it makes sense. Um, I do think this is a increasingly competitive space. So I don't think it's necessarily a given that just because they put the resources behind it, they can they can get a breakaway hit. Um, so there are risks associated with it. But um, I always like to see people creating new original content rather than just re-syndicating other content. So, um, I, you know, good luck to them. And um, I hope they may do make a success of it. Um, as I say, they've got, as you say, they've got a pretty good eye in the past for, for hits that they can discover. Um, so hopefully they can apply that to their original commissioning. Uh, and I think they've had quite a lot of US success uh, with originals. So it'd be really interesting to see if they take that knowledge and understanding and, and, and apply it to other markets. So all of that brings us to the media quiz. This week, it's entitled Casting Call. So three analogue services have recently announced digital spin-offs. I'm going to give you the talent they've announced and you tell me what's been commissioned. Okay, three rounds. Buzz in with your name if you know the answer. So Alex will say... Alex. Karen will say... Karen. And Maggie will say... Maggie, who's been in Italy for <laughs> Show off. Uh, let's play Casting Call. Uh, cue music. Right, number one. So I'll give you the talent. Uh, tell me the media that's been created. Number one, ex-pop world presenter Makita Oliver and journalist Grant Tucker. Alex. Alex. Uh, Sunday Times thing, video series thing, and it's going to be Makita Oliver and Grant Tucker doing some sort of like talk TV thing. Yes, so this is Sunday Times culture magazine show for YouTube, but no doubt will appear on talk TV, whatever talk TV appears. Uh, one point to you. 
Number two, star of MTV's Catfish, Julie Adjuenga. Karen, is it a, a GMB spin-off um, YouTube only, YouTube special Off the Table? Is that the one? Yes, that's right. Off the Table, spin-off from uh, the Good Morning Britain team, which aims to debate some of the most important issues affecting young people today. And it's going to live um, on YouTube. I mean, Alex, interesting couple of YouTube shows there. Um, yeah, the pivot to video happened a long time ago, but people seem to think there's still some dosh in it. I was pitching morning breakfast shows for the BBC that appeared on YouTube only 11 years ago. Um, we're going to get there eventually. It, this still isn't it. This, it's still seen as a bonus. Or, you know, like listen to a longer, less well edited uh, interview across podcasts. Like, it's not the idea. Give people better content. Don't give people less good content. Um, it, th- it's an interesting foray into it. In, but compared to GMB's main revenues, uh, YouTube is not that unless they end up getting millions and millions of views every episode. So interesting to see how financially it makes sense for them. I did wonder, though, if it links to the conversation we were having earlier about people's changing listening habits. And I think their changing viewing habits is probably also shifting um, in this post-COVID landscape. So it might not might not be that breakfast telly is appointment viewing anymore. And maybe you consume that content over your day. Maybe that's the play they're making here. Could be interesting. Uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how, how they both do. Right. Uh, final one. It's an obscure one. Uh, if you saw the notes we sent you, you might have an idea. Um, finally, voiceover artist Vicky Blight. Uh, Karen? Karen, yes. It's some sort of ad campaign about older people teaching them how to use digital radio. Is that it? Yes, it's this is a campaign from Digital Radio UK, and it's aimed uh, particularly at the over 60s to help them understand how to get DAB and DAB plus services. Uh, Maggie, is there a digital divide that's, that's stronger with older audiences, or have they got more time to actually understand what's going on? I mean, what, what's wrong with it? Um, having, if you feel you need to have some kind of gentle education program, go ahead with it if it increases your audiences. This is all about making demystifying. So uh, congratulations to Karen. You are our quiz winner. Woo-hoo! Well done. <laughs> That's our show for today. My thanks to Maggie Brown, Karen Robinson and Alex Hudson. If you've enjoyed this episode, why not bung us the price of a flat white from Soho House? Just head to themediapodcast.com slash donate. And of course, follow us to hear new episodes when they drop on your podcast app of choice. Um, if you haven't got one of those, just tap in podfollow.com slash themediapodcast into a browser and it will drop you into an app uh, my name is matt deegan you can find my weekly newsletter about the audio industry and more at mattdeegan.com uh, the producers of the media podcast were matt hill and pete price it was a rethink audio and ppm production we'll see you in a fortnight tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. I'm Andrea, founder of a boutique handbag brand, Andy, and this is why I switched to Shopify. 
I tried three other platforms prior to Shopify, and I remember my breaking point was when I would try to make one little change and my entire site would go down. Shopify made it really easy for me to shift everything over and hit the ground running. I was able to migrate my products and all of my customer information over. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Go to shopify.com slash listen to take your business to the next level today. 